0: Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, to chapter 3. We'll read verses 21 through 26. Our focus will be on verses 24 through 26. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. This is God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Thus far the word of the Lord our God. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, as we come to consider the work of Christ for us, O Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding. Oh, Lord, that we would see your fingerprints in the offering up of your son for us. Oh, Lord, help this well-known truth of the Christian religion be fresh, convincing, and convicting for all of us. Oh, Lord, may we have comfort from him this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I'd like to ask you a simple question this morning and have you answer in your own mind and in your heart. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? And some answers may be very simple and very obvious. Most of the children in the room could probably even also give the answer to save me from my sins. That's plain That's simple. Maybe another answer, even more simple, would be, because He loves me. Because He loves me. And friends, these are true answers. However, they describe why Jesus did die, not why He had to die. You see, the question that I've asked you is regarding the necessity of His death. Think for a moment, you have a God who is in heaven, who knows all things and has all power. He does whatever He wants. There is no contest between Him and any other power. Why did He decide in His wisdom and goodness, that His only begotten Son must die for sinners. And friends, I want to tell you that Jesus had to die because we are sinners. And our sin deserves punishment because God is just. He had to die because we are sinners. And our sins deserve punishment because God is just. You see, whenever Paul is describing the Gospel of grace, he's describing it to a group of people who think that you can be justified by what you do. By your keeping of good laws. And they would ask Paul, well, Paul, if you're telling me that every person is a sinner, then how in the world could God be just in giving them free grace? Isn't sin an offense to you? Isn't it an affront? Isn't it rebellion against your name and against your rule? Doesn't it deserve just punishment? And the Apostle Paul takes that up and he says simply, yes, yes. And so in these few verses, Paul has laser-like focus on the justice of God. I do want to say before we move on, you can answer the question, why did Jesus have to die in in a handful of ways? You could speak of his love, you could speak of his mercy, you could speak of his grace, you could speak of his decrees. But Paul wants you to see the justice of God against sin and sinners served in the person of Jesus. And so three things I want us to see taken directly from the passage this morning as we consider the atoning blood of Christ is firstly, in verse 24, redemption. Redemption. Secondly, in verse 25, propitiation. Propitiation. And then thirdly, in verses 25 and 26, vindication. Vindication. Redemption, propitiation, vindication. And so if we look just a little bit ahead of the verses that we are specifically focusing on this morning, and it's a verse that we've already read to verse 23, we'll see the Apostle Paul describing to the Roman Christians specifically a reality in the heart of humanity. And what does he say? He says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is right out front. It's plain in the necessity of the heart of every single person that has ever lived, men and women and children, Old, young, black, white, indifferent, and everything in between. Every single person has sinned against Him. Any want of keeping His law, any transgression of His law, failing to do what He commands, doing what He tells you never to do, sinning against Him in thought, in word, or in deed. Okay? And whenever Paul lays down this spirit biblical truth of the sinfulness of man. It's as if he backs every single person into a corner and he says specifically to all of us who think that we can do good things and be right with God, he's saying to us that's impossible. He's saying according to who you are, the things you have thought, the things you have loved, the things you have said according to your nature, the very tastes that you enjoy, the very inclinations of the thoughts of the heart, those things in the irreducible part of humanity are not just touched with sin, but are a commitment of sin in themselves. You're not just a fallen creature you actually could rightly say that you, just like me, are a sinner. And so Paul confronts these people, and he's got this different idea, this strange idea, this biblical idea that's in the New Testament and even in the Old, of free justification. We talked about this last time, weeks and weeks ago, when we came to this passage of Scripture. That free justification, a person can be declared righteous before God because of the righteousness of Christ given to them, credited to their account, so that in the courtroom of God, he looks down on any person that would receive Jesus and he would simply say, in loudest and truest terms, not guilty. Not guilty. No longer an enemy positively righteous, blessed, beautiful, loved, beheld, beloved in the heart of the God of heaven. And this sounds strange. Why? Well, it's because every single heart of every single person in and of ourselves simply wants to do the same sort of thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. We want to decide what will be good for us. We want to do. We want to be the one That makes ourselves either righteous or whatever could otherwise be said of who we are. And Paul is saying again, very simply, that we are justified by the grace given to us as a gift. It's huge, it's earth shattering. It's not what you do that makes you right with God. It's not in the laws you kept. It's not in the family you were born into. It's not in the local church that you were a member of, either from your childhood or the day of your profession of faith or from 80 years of time with the church. It's not from how many books you've read. It's not from your keeping of holy deeds and lifestyles. All these things are pleasing to the Lord. However, that's not what makes a man or a woman or a child righteous before God. No, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's something you get that you did not buy. Something you get that you did not deserve. Something free. Something intended to bless you. Something that if you receive, well cause you joy and gladness and everlasting life. You see, one of the things that we focused on is that justification is not by the things you've done, but here's a thing that you ought to think about, especially if you're honest about your heart. If you judge your own inner person, it's not about the things that you failed to do the failures of the heart of a sinful man or woman or child, the sins that we commit, thought, word, or deed, in the very depth of who we are, the things that we have failed to do or the things that we've done against God. These things cannot keep us from the love of God if we receive Jesus Christ. There is a free offer of what Paul describes as redemption here. You may or may not be familiar with exactly what redemption means. This is a biblical term, and maybe whenever you think of redemption, you think of it in the terms of a coupon that maybe you spend at a, a grocery store, or let's face it, today we have all of those on an app, right? And it says redeem coupon when we go to checkout. Um, but what does this redemption mean? Well, when Paul uses this language to speak about the the justifying righteousness of a person and the work of Jesus for them, he's speaking about the bondage that every person experiences to their sin. Being a slave. You see, that's an issue that every person, every man, every woman, and every child from Adam till now has and does experience if they're not in Jesus Christ. It's not only that they have sinned, but that their mind is in chains to sin. That their heart is ensnared and caught and kept against its will by sin. That their lips are not only ones that have spoken wicked words, but ones that are conditioned naturally and enslaved to sin and redemption. It's being purchased and brought out of that. It's being made free. But something you need to understand is that whenever Paul speaks about the redemption of Jesus, he is talking about your freedom being a purchase. It costs something. Hang on a second, Pastor. You just told me that that justification is free. It is free to you. but It cost the person of Jesus taking up the penalty of sin for you. What was the cost? The life of the only begotten Son of God. That was the cost. He took on chains so that He might set us free. Nails fashioned to affix us to a cursed tree. He took them so that our hands could clasp in prayer and worship and adoration. This is redemption. We had to be brought out and purchased and brought far from the sins of our hearts and minds and tongues and the depth of our hearts. Something had to change. We actually had to move, and it was something ultimately that we could not do for ourselves. Have you ever been restrained? Have you? You ever had your hands handcuffed? I've not thus far had them handcuffed. You know, the restraint that I think of in my life is maybe when I was a child. My dad, my grandfather hanging on to me really tightly and I wanted to do something else. and I just came to realize that, you know, resistance was futile. I could fight, I could squirm, I could try, but ultimately they, as if they had glue on their hands, had a hold of me couldn't do it. I couldn't go anywhere. I wasn't free to myself. And that's the state of the heart of an unconverted man, woman, or child. Slavery to sin. And Paul says that we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That Jesus purchased us from that bondage this depiction of an exchange, Him taking on our slavery that we might be made free. Him paying the cost and paying with His own flesh, with His own blood. Redemption. Redemption. That's one reason Christ had to die because if He didn't die, we would have remained in bondage to sin But in verse 25, Paul goes on and he expands this discussion on justification, being made right with God. And he says this. He says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith whom God put forth as a propitiation. How often do you use the word propitiation? You ever hear that English term outside of the church? I can scarcely think of anything that I could use the word propitiation in, in my regular discourse in life. It is a spiritual term. And I wonder whenever I say propitiation, do you have a meaning already in mind? And I would hope... Brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing that many of you have walked with the Lord for many years, and if this isn't new for you. You've studied theology, you've studied your Bible, you've studied this passage of Scripture, and propitiation is something that you ought to know. And so I want to have your ears, even those of you who know, I want your ears to be fixed to this because I want you to think on this reality. We're told that God put forth Jesus as his son to be a propitiation. This word's derived from the Greek term "Helasmos." And if you're thinking, "I've never heard that one before," or sorry, Helasterion." I'm getting myself mixed up, lest a Greek scholar shoot me from the back. Helasterion." And this word describes something in the Old Testament, and it's used to describe the mercy seat. You know what the mercy seat is? It's the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the one that has two figures of angels, wings turned. Toward the middle, this this place where the Lord is said to dwell, hovering in the Holy of Holies over this mercy seat. It's this symbol of, of God's abiding with His people. But it's also a symbol of atonement. It symbolizes a place where the penalty for sin is dealt with. And so, whenever Paul calls Jesus the hilasterion or a propitiation, he is taking and saying simply this: God made Jesus a sacrifice to atone for your sins. Now, I would hope this isn't news for so many of you, but have you ever thought about this, like what this really means? that Jesus was a sacrifice. You know it in the abstract. I'm sure you know at least the system of Old Testament sacrifices where you have an animal, whether it's a dove, whether it's a bull, whether it's a sheep, whether it's a lamb, and they're brought by people to the temple or to an altar, and then they're put to death, symbolic of their need for the cleansing from sin but do you understand how these things work? That whenever a person comes and whenever they bring this this animal, this propitiation, this hilasterion to be sacrificed there for its blood to be poured out, that what they're doing is they're taking this animal and they're saying, God, before your face, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and my sin deserves all your punishment. I know I deserve it. I deserve it in my hands. I deserve it in the flesh of my arms, my chest, over my head, over my whole body. I deserve punishment in my soul. I deserve it to the core of who I am. I deserve to be put to death. And so they bring this animal and they say to the Lord, Lord God, can I trade places? I deserve to be on that altar. I deserve that knife to pierce my chest. I deserve my blood to be poured out. I'm the sinner. Can I trade places? Can I have a substitute for just, just this time, Lord? Can I not bear this awful load? Will you pour out your wrath on on that lamb, on that bull, and not on me? Will you please, Lord, And every time God's people brought these sacrifices, they again and again, if they were worshiping in their heart and not just in empty formalism, were putting their faith in the reality that God would accept for that moment that sacrifice so they did not have to die. Because their sins are against God, and they're real. And a just God must punish sin. And the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. That's it. Must die. And they're saying, Lord, will you take this offering? And Paul is telling you and he's telling me and he's telling everyone that can read this passage of Scripture, that is what Jesus became for us. He became the Lamb that's spotless that was slain on the altar for us. His blood poured out because of what we deserved. He paid the cost and the penalty of our sins. Paul writes to the Corinthians what we had in our assurance of pardon. For our sakes He made Him he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now you see, whenever Paul says something like that, he's saying a tremendous thing. It's not just—it's that Jesus was just punished because we're sinners. He was. But Paul said he made him to be Be the embodiment, the enfleshment of all of our sins against God. He bore it in his person and in his soul. That's a whole different thing. He's not just a whipping boy who took the punishment, but he is one who became in every way just as if your flesh were crucified. As if your brow was pierced. As if your bones were out of joint and your tongue stuck to your cheek. As if your side was pierced. As if you groaned the last on the tree. That's what happened. He became an atoning sacrifice for you and in your place and became sin, your sin on the tree. A substitute so that you don't have to be punished. And why? Because sin deserves punishment and God is just. God is just. Wrath against sin, our sin, is right. You might be saying, well, oh, pastor, why couldn't God just have forgotten? Why did he have to kill his only begotten son, the one that is precious? We've got that so well established. We understand that he's his only begotten son. Why did, he have to do, why did he have to do that? Why couldn't he have just thrown the salt over his shoulder? Why couldn't he have taken the piece of paper that had all your sins written on it and just stick it at the back of the book, at the back of the ledger? Forget about it. Why not? Because that's unjust. Your sin deserves punishment. And God burns with wrath against sin. Let me ask you a question. Would you prefer God to remain angry against you and your sin written on a paper tucked in the back of the book just to be forgotten? Or do you want God's wrath To burn white hot against all of your sins that you've ever committed until it's entirely used up, all of its fuel, and burned out to cool. I want it to be burned out. I want the cup of God's wrath to be turned over and poured out. I want the cup to be drank by the sun, because I don't want for a second any question in my mind or in my heart, is my God still angry at me because of my sins? Is He going to come back at me? Is it going to be like that argument with a friend who 30 years later brings up that thing you really wish they would forget? Is it going to be like that? No. Because in the blood and in the body of Christ broken, God satisfied His law, His justice against you. There's nothing else. Your sentence has been paid. Your sins hung on the tree in Him. And you've been set free. It's that simple. It's not only that he died for everything you have done, but he died so that the Lord would never, ever have wrath against you and the sins you have done, the sins you're struggling with, and the sins you'll do until the day you die. All of it. All of it's dealt with. The balance is settled. No more war. No more separation. No more anxiety over, does God still love me? Or did that sin I committed an hour ago kick me out of his heart and out of his mind and out of his hand? Jesus died as a propitiation, a sacrifice for our sins. But I want you to notice one thing before we move on. Does the passage say Jesus, knowing the anger of God, decided in himself to die for you? Does it say that? Does it say that it seemed right to Jesus in the day in, in which He lived, living amongst sinners in their pitiful state to die for them? Does it say that? Does it say that mankind was so wonderful that it just had to be that Jesus would pay what they owed? No. Notice this. Verse 25. God put forward... This is what God has done for you and for me and for any who will have Jesus by faith. This is God's plan. He's not the angry and separated God. This is a God who is full of justice and also full of mercy and grace. For God so loved the world that God put forward His Son as a propitiation. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to die a bloody, horrible, humiliating death for us and in our place because He loved us. It's His plan. And His mercy expects and relies upon His justice. He wouldn't just bury your sin. He would have it atoned for. In the person of Jesus in his suffering. And then the last thing I want you to notice from this section of the verse is that it's not only that Jesus did this as an objective truth to save some humanity, but he is a propitiation by his blood, what? To be received by faith. What does a person have to do? Believe in Jesus. Does a person have to live a perfect life? No. What do they have to do? Believe in Jesus. Does a person have to have perfect church attendance? No. We'd like you here, but no. You need to believe in Jesus. Do they have to be born into the right family, tribe, or race? No. They need to believe in Jesus. Do they have to get it all together and get it right before they come to know the Lord and Jesus Christ? No. They just need to believe in Jesus. Jesus. Do they have to have every article of faith clearly defined in their mind before they come to be redeemed by Jesus? No, they just need to believe in Him. It's very, very simple. Faith in Jesus. Really no different than that Old Testament saint that took the lamb, took the bull, took the dove and simply brought it and said, Lord, please don't punish me. Will you, will you accept just this one from me? Putting their faith in the animal, but really in the mercy of God. Same thing for us if we put our faith in Jesus because we know, according to the author of Hebrews 10.4, that the blood of bulls and goats cannot satisfy for sins. And then lastly, in verses 25 and 26, we see vindication. Vindication vindication and again here's another word we don't use all that often but maybe you felt vindicated you had a debate with a friend and you were saying that the object was black and they were saying that the object was white and the debate ensued and ultimately a third person came along and said simply yeah the object is black and you felt vindicated See, I told you it was actually black, and maybe that's your relationship to this vindication, but the vindication here in verses 25 and 26, they don't just show a right point of view in a debate, but rather the right character of the God of heaven. He's shown to be right and righteous, to be just and justifier. So let's look at this, the latter part of verse 25. Whenever Paul describes propitiation and the deliverance, he says the whole purpose of it or the reason, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That sounds plain enough. And you go on in verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. And so what Paul has is this idea about time and about God's justice and about his creation. And that there were sins in the past and that there are sins presently with the idea that they continue on. This future ideal here. And what he's talking about here is that God, if the God of the gospel, the God that Paul's talking about, the God, the Father of Jesus who made his son to be a a sacrifice for sin, If he gives grace and his justification, his righteousness as a gift, a free gift, that no one has to do anything for, then what about all those other sins in the past? What about the sins of the Old Testament? What about the sins yesterday and in last year? What about those things? Well, Paul explains it very simply. He says simply this that that was to show God's righteousness because He forbeared when He passed over. He had patience, and so He did not punish the sin immediately because why? He's looking forward to the coming of the Christ, to the cross that He would bear, to a broken body and blood poured out. He accepted the blood of bulls. He accepted the blood of sheep and lambs and goats and doves. Not because there was anything and a sheep or a lamb or a bull or any of these things that could save any of us for our sins or that an animal would be a good substitute for us, but simply because there was a perfect substitute coming. It's as if God said, yes, I see that you have faith in someone else for the sake of your redemption and your salvation. I'll wait because He's coming. And I know He's coming because I'm going to send Him. And I know that He's going to die on the cross because I'm going to hang Him there. And I know that my wrath will be poured out because it's my plan to do so. And I know that He's going to rise again from the dead because I'm going to resurrect Him. And I know that sin will be reigned over and that I will be pleased. Everything in the past was dealt with in Christ. And whenever He died on the cross, it showed God as a truth teller and as a good and a righteous God who does punish sin, who does avenge wrongs, who does set things right. Moreover, it's not that He once did that where everything that came before the cross was touched by it, but also everything then after it. It was to show His righteousness at the present time at the present time, so that God in Christ and in the sacrifice of His Son, according to our sins that we have committed or ever will commit, can simply be satisfied. And if you have faith in Christ, there is no fear of the God of heaven. He can be just who punishes sins and justifier who forgives the sinner if they should have faith in Jesus. So let me ask you, friends, do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? For any of you here that don't know Christ and are sitting here this morning listening to this, I want to freely offer Christ to you to receive him by faith to be reconciled with God. And if you're a Christian, can you say amen Can you rejoice in your heart and glorify God to simply know you are no longer an enemy but a son or a daughter? That He loves you and that He'll never burn with anger against you if you believe in Jesus. That all of your sins have been dealt with. You're free from it. and You're free to love Him and to receive all the benefits and the blessings that come from Him. You're secure. It's never going to change. You're his child now. Can you say amen? Can you praise the Lord? Can you glory in Jesus? Can you enjoy that security? Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can have this sort of security. Lord, we can know that in Christ, that Lord, you've dealt with our sins, that in him, you put our death to death and his death that we might have life. Father, we pray that as we come in a moment to look on the sacrament, O Lord, O Father, that you would help us to receive it by faith, that, Lord, you'd help us to see the reality that he was broken, that he was poured out, and that he's freely offered to us if we would receive him by faith. O Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us in the remainder of this service to glorify you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.